All right. Well, good morning, and again, welcome to H2O. Uh, as Kent said, if you're new, checking things out, it's great to, to have you here with us. If this is one of your first times at H2O, love to get a chance to uh, meet you, and um, we are really excited today as we are heading into Thanksgiving. I, I know that everybody's probably getting excited. It's a short week, both on the student side and for many of us, you know, we'll have Thursday off. We'll be able to spend time with family and friends, and today we are going to spend uh, some time in the book of Luke looking at a parable or a story that Jesus told uh, that might be one of his most famous parables ever told. Last week, we said the same thing. Last week, we talked about the story of the prodigal son, and we talked uh, about the, the implications and the meaning of that teaching that Jesus shared uh, with those people during that time and that still applied to us to this day. Well, today, we're going to talk about a story or a parable that, that probably rivals that in terms of its familiarity with all of us. We're we're going to talk today about the story of the Good Samaritan. All right, and even if you've never been to church before, even if you've never opened up a Bible before, if that's you, welcome. We're super excited that you're here, but you probably heard that phrase, Good Samaritan, right? It's a phrase that, that has impacted our culture and in our world. This story that Jesus told was so profound, there was something so, I guess, sticky about it, that, that even to this day, we use that phrase, Good Samaritan, in so many different contexts, in so many different ways. If you Google it, you know, you can go and find a church is called the, the Good Samaritan Church. You can find ministries called the Good Samaritan. You can find hospitals, schools. Uh, there's many different places that are named after this story that we're going to look at. And I think that kind of the danger almost with a, a story that is so familiar to us is that we can sometimes come to a text like this and just assume, oh, I know what it's all about. You know, I, I, I got it figured out. And so sometimes we can almost kind of tune out. But the, the beautiful thing about God's word is that it's deep and it's rich and that we we could hear the same story over and over again and apply it in different ways to our lives. And so today I want to ask you to really engage with this story. Because if you don't know this, this story is way more uh, about, way, way less about just, you know, seeing somebody alongside the road that has a broken down car and stopping to help them and, and considering yourself a good Samaritan. Maybe you've got the chance to do that. That's a great thing to do. It's a beautiful thing to do. But that's not at all actually what this story is about. It's much deeper than that. It's, uh, it's more than just, uh, it's good to help people in need. This story gets to the heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so I'm excited to jump in today. And in fact, as we jump in, I want to give you the big idea that we're going to discover and unpack together as we look at this story. And the big idea is this, that following Jesus compels us to love others and to put our faith into action. Okay, so following Jesus, it compels us. If we are truly following Jesus, it literally compels us to love others. That's what we see happen in the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and it causes us to do more than just talk about our faith. It causes us to do more than just study our faith. It causes us to actually put our faith into action. That's the point that Jesus is trying to get across in this parable that he told uh, and that we can apply to our lives. So we're going to jump in with that being said today. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you have a, a phone, we have an H2O app that you can follow along, and there should be notes in your handout as well, and the words will come up uh, behind me on the screen. Luke chapter 10, story of the Good Samaritan, starts in verse 25. And it's interesting because this story that Jesus tell, tells is actually brought on by a question that somebody asked him. So we can see this in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says this. It says, on one occasion, 
an expert in the law, so a lawyer, you know. Uh, there could be some good lawyer jokes made here, but we'll skip right over that, all right? On one occasion, an expert in the law or lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who really is my neighbor? Okay, so as we start off uh, and, and we're laying the, the backdrop for this amazing story that Jesus told that we still reference to this day, uh, we have to get the, the setup and figure out what's going on because it was asked almost in a condescending way. It was asked almost in an argumentative way, hey, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Now, as we hear that, it's like, man, that's a great question. That's a beautiful question. As a pastor, I would love for somebody to come up to me and say, hey, what do I have to do to, to follow God? What do I have to do to get to heaven? He asked the right question this lawyer did but he had the wrong motivation okay so just because we're asking the right questions doesn't necessarily mean we have the right motivation and we can know that that's true because uh, the lawyer actually gave the perfect answer you know, Jesus turned it back on him. Jesus loved to answer questions with questions. You know, sometimes maybe your parents did that, or maybe your teachers do that sometimes, and it can almost be a, a little, like, hard, like, no, just give me the answer. So Jesus returned his question with a question. Well, you're a lawyer. You should know the answer to this. What do you think you have to do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer answers right. He says, uh, you know, all the, the commandments, all of the, the Old Testament, all of the law can be summed up in these two things, to love God and to love people. And Jesus is like, you're right. And, and, and something about that answer, you're right, didn't resonate with the lawyer. Because, see, there's a difference between knowing the right knowledge and actually living out what God wants us to do. Do you notice that? Why do you think that the lawyer was so threatened when he actually gave the right answer, but he still felt a need to justify himself, Jesus replied, uh, you're right, do this and you will live. And instead of saying, okay, great, he has to start an argument with Jesus. And so he says, oh yeah, well, who is my neighbor? And I think there's some, some pretty important application there for all of us because sometimes so many of us in church or so many of us who, who've grown up in Christian circles or whatever the case may be, we have boiled our faith down to just knowing a bunch of right things, to just knowing a bunch of facts, to being able to win any Bible trivia contest that we might get into. You know, many of us, that's what we made our faith out to be. If I just know enough about the Bible, then that will mean that I'm following God. And listen, we are all about understanding the Bible. We are all about studying God's word and actually knowing it. But following Jesus is way more than just head knowledge. Following Jesus is way more than just knowing the right answers, as this lawyer displays for us here. Following Jesus is actually living out our faith. And we talk about this a lot around here at H2O, but, but our goal with, with making disciples and pointing, G, pointing people towards Jesus is not just information, but it's transformation. And I think that that's what we're seeing displayed here. The guy gave the right information, but listen, enough information, that doesn't get us to following God, actually following what he says. Not just knowing the right things, but following Jesus is what he wants for us. That's what he calls us to do. And so Jesus then has to unpack this guy's follow-up question as he's kind of trying to trap Jesus a little bit. 
He's trying to, to get Jesus to stumble. Maybe he's trying to prove that he actually has more knowledge than Jesus. Bad idea, buddy. You know, Jesus is God. He's going he's gonna to outsmart you. Don't worry. But sometimes that's how lawyers are, you know. And so he's like, oh, yeah, well, well who is my neighbor? And so Jesus answers his question with a story. He answers his question with actually a pretty provocative story that still stands with us today in verse 30. He says this, and reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happens to be going down that same road. Uh, what would happen is Jerusalem and Jericho, they were about 13 to 15 miles apart. And oftentimes people would live in Jericho but work in Jerusalem, you know, like we still do to this day. And so uh, they would be traveling this road back and forth from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so it says that a man, as he's traveling this road, got robbed. And the road would have been pretty well known to people during this time. And, and it says that a priest was walking probably from work in Jerusalem back to his home in Jericho. Verse 31 says, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man, and he passed by him on the other side. Then later on, too, a Levite, who a Levite would have been like a, a temple worker, maybe not a priest, but somebody who worked or made their living in the temple religiously. And so, too, a Levite went, and he came to the place, and he saw him pass, and he went on the other side. And then verse 33, but a Samaritan, he traveled and came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went and he had him bandaged up in his wounds and he poured oil and wine on them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. And then Jesus looks at the lawyer and he says, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell? into the hands of the robbers. And the lawyer was like, dang, outsmarted again. <laughs> All right, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Uh, do you get what's going on here in the story? You know, Jesus was setting this guy up because he thought that he might have it all figured out. He thought that maybe he would stump Jesus. And so Jesus tells him this provocative story. Now, again, we might not completely understand how this story could have been so provocative. But what was going on here was Jesus was breaking down the cultural norms that were set up during that time. And so Jesus says there was a priest that would come by, a pastor, somebody like me, who makes their living off of talking or teaching or leading people spiritually. And the guy sees somebody in need, and what does he do? He just ignores him. He walks on the other side of the street. Now, we don't know. Maybe the, the priest, he had something to do. Maybe he had to go home and, and, and take care of the kids. Maybe he had to go home and make, you know, make dinner. He might have had a good reason for ignoring this guy. We don't know what his reason is. But nonetheless, he ignored him. And then somebody else, somebody in ministry, walks by. And, and, and he ignores him as well. And then Jesus says the third thing. Now, now, here's what we have to understand. We probably, if we were sitting in that moment when Jesus was telling this story, you would have thought that Jesus was probably setting it up like, hey, you know, there's a pastor and he ignored him. And then there's a guy in ministry and he ignored him. And then there was just somebody in the church who walked by and they helped him. So be like the person in the church. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there's a Samaritan that walk by. Now, if you remember, we talked about uh, earlier in the year how much Jews and Samaritans hated each other, literally hated each other. 
There was racism going on. There was classism going on. Jews thought that they were so much better, so much more significant than Samaritans. And so Jesus takes the lowest of the lows in the the eyes of this crowd at that moment, and he uses them as the hero of the story. It's like he flipped the script on these guys, and they're like, "How you're talking about a Samaritan? Go and be like the Samaritan? Man, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? And Jesus' words to this crowd had to be so provocative and so cutting and yet so profound. I think it's one of the reasons why we still talk about this story. And and I want to just pull out three truths from this story that I think that all of us can apply to our lives today is hopefully we're seeking to follow God and actually be like this Samaritan that Jesus teaches us to be like. And the first thing is this. Appearance is relative to Jesus. Our hearts is what matters. Appearance is relative to Jesus. Our hearts are what matter. You know, we live in a culture and a world that cares a lot about appearance, don't we? You know, have you ever showed up to, to an event and been like completely underdressed or completely overdressed? Don't you hate that? You know, because people look at you like, what's up with that dude? You know, man, we're supposed to be in suits and he's in jeans and a t-shirt or whatever. This is why I don't dress myself. I literally never dress myself. One of the beautiful things about marriage, uh, one of my favorite parts, there's some good parts about marriage, all right? For those of you who aren't married, there's some great things. But one of my favorite things is that my wife literally dresses me. Um, like not, she doesn't put the clothes on me, but she picks them out. You know, every, like, anytime I'm gone anywhere remotely important, I don't know if this is a confession or what, but it's the truth, I'm I'm like, hey, Sarah, what should I wear? You know, would you mind laying it out for me? Um, And it's not because, you know, I think that that I want to make her do that. It's because I can't dress myself. I'm not good at that type of thing. In our culture, in our world, we care about appearances. And, and, and there's something to that. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that you should show up to a wedding in your pajamas now. You know, that's not the, the point that Jesus was getting at. What Jesus is t- trying to, to communicate to us through this story is, listen, sometimes we're so concerned with the outside. Sometimes we're so concerned with, with keeping a persona or looking good or, or making sure that, that we do all the right things so that we, we maintain our dignity and respect But listen, Jesus isn't so concerned about that. He went right after the religious leaders. He went right after the priests. He went right after the Levites. And he said, listen, it's fine to be a priest. It's fine to be a Levite. But if you aren't doing it for the right heart, for the right reason, then it means nothing to me. It's literally like you're wasting your time. And so appearance is relative to Jesus. But what matters is our hearts. See, uh, there's no doubt. Uh, that the, the priests and the Levites, they're probably in a hurry, maybe even in a hurry to do something good. But Jesus said, in, in, in being in a hurry to look good or do something good, you miss the best opportunity that I placed into your lap. Because you're, you're so worried about the outside, you missed what I was doing here. And so I wonder for us, if we can just kind of stop and ask the question, are we projecting, maybe even spiritually, Are we projecting a certain persona or or a certain reality that we aren't actually living out internally? Because if we are, that that projection or that persona, it may mean something to, to the people around us sometimes, and we may be able to fool people for a while, but we can't fool God. What he cares about is our heart. What he cares about is our love for him and our love for people. So appearance, it's relative to Jesus, but our heart is what really matters. Second, 
we can learn this. To love God always leads us to love others, even our enemies. Okay? When Jesus was asked the question, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? He turned it back on the lawyer, and the lawyer answered right. Love God and love people. Literally, sometimes we get so consumed with, like, with sometimes we look at the Bible and we say, oh, man, is it a bunch of rules, and, and can we ever follow all these different rules? You can boil the whole Bible and all the laws and everything down to those two simple things. If you love God, you will love people. The way that you love God will transform the way that you live, and it will literally, literally be impossible to love God and not love people. They are always connected. And that's what Jesus is trying to to get through to us in this story of the Good Samaritan. You cannot love God if you don't love people. And the same is true, vice versa. They have to go together. You know, it's interesting with this, with this story or this parable because a lot of times we're tempted to go really theoretical. Maybe you've heard people talk about this, this parable before, and, and we know that it has something to do with, with loving maybe even our enemies. And so sometimes we're tempted to go theoretical and ask the questions like, well, sh- or, if this is true, do we have to love ISIS? You know, or if this is true, do we have to love, you know, somebody who, who is a mass murderer or something like that? And, and those theoretical questions aren't necessarily bad. I think sometimes they can help our hearts as we're wrestling with this. But this was not a theoretical parable that Jesus was telling all right? This is not a, can you love some imaginary person thousands of miles away who may hate you? This was a very practical parable that Jesus is telling. There's a dude on the side of the road, bleeding, almost ready to die, and you walked right by him rather than helping him. So are we willing to love the people that God brings into our lives and point them towards Jesus? And we can ask the theoretical questions all day long, but it's more about are we actually putting our faith into action when it comes to living out a faith that points people towards him. You know, um, I was thinking as I was preparing this message this week of just all the different like opportunities that, that God's brought into my life and into the life of this church in order to love people, sometimes even people that maybe didn't return that love to us in the same way that we would hope that they would. I was thinking about this, this one uh, experience that, that our, our church had. It was about 10 years ago, and it's kind of like this, this epic moment in our church's history, so maybe you've heard us talk about it before, but uh, ten, about 10 years ago, Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, and, and if you remember, you know, it was this crazy time. It completely, like, obliterated this city, um, and, and there was just mass chaos going on in this city. Well, at that time, um, Matt Pardee and I were helping to lead this church along with some other people, and Matt, who's my co-pastor still now, teaches sometimes here at H2O, um, he just has this heart of gold. Like, he's, like, one of the most compassionate guys I've ever met, and so he decided that we were going to go down and help uh, this, this situation in, in New Orleans. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know how we were going to do it, but he decided that we were going to help. And so when he decided that, some of us jumped in. And so I actually stayed back, but another three or four of our staff, they jumped in a van. They drove down to New Orleans when it was at the worst of its worst spot. And they started going to these different shelters uh, and, and just praying for people, trying to help people, just trying to, to make an impact. And as they were down there, they realized, like, this is even worse than, than what we thought. And so they, they, they decided that they would offer anybody who wanted to to bring them back to Ohio, and we would take care of them for, like, six months. 
And uh, I don't know even why or how they decided this, but they just felt like that's what God wanted us to do. Now, i got to remind you, if if you don't know the history of our church, at that time we were a church of about 150 people, and we were all college students, okay? So the idea of taking care of people financially or any, you know, I mean, most of us didn't even know how to put gas in our car at that time. How in the world we're going to take care of people, I don't know. But that's what they did, okay? And so uh, there was 10 people, six adults, four kids, that were looking around and they said, this is really bad, so yeah, we'll go with you. And obviously on their part, it, it was a lot of trust. I mean, uh, to, to jump in a van with, with these three guys who are of different races who say they're from Ohio and pastors, you know, who knows. But they, they, were, they wanted to get out of the situation. And so they jumped in a van and they started driving back to Ohio. We got these families back here and uh, started to try to love them, started to try to raise some funds for them to, to pay for their housing, worked with FEMA and got them housing and, and all that good stuff. And, uh, it, and throughout the process, it was one of these crazy experiences where, you know, word kind of started to spread, and, and it, it started to actually, people started to notice that we were on the news. Jerry Anderson came down uh, from WTOL and interviewed us. And, and so as the process started to play out, um, there was more and more people that kind of rallied to help these people. And it was a really cool experience. It was a really faith-building experience. But something kind of interesting also happened during that time. For whatever reason, probably just like the cycle of poverty, um, probably just the situation that these people come from, but they just couldn't break out of the life that they had lived before. And so for the first couple months, it was totally fine. But sadly, uh, after a few months, it kind of started to fall back into to old patterns and habits. A couple of them got arrested. A couple of the kids got expelled from school. And it, it turned into this situation that, that was not healthy for anybody, sadly. And isn't that kind of weird in ministry? Like sometimes you have the greatest intentions, the greatest heart, and you try to do something, and it doesn't always work out exactly as you plan. So here's the, the moral of the story. We, we hit this, this point where for whatever reason, these people actually almost kind of turned a little bit on us. And even though we loved them and we were still, you know, communicating and talking with them, they actually felt like we were like profiting off of them, which wasn't true at all. We were losing a lot of money. But I think because it was on the news and because there was a lot of people hearing about it, they felt like uh, it it wasn't working out. So they decided that they wanted to go back to to New Orleans. And so um, we said, yeah, you know, of course, we'll take you back to New Orleans. So... A couple nights before we were about ready to go back down and take them, there's four of us on staff that are uh, loading this moving truck full of furniture. They came here with nothing. We were sending them back down with this massive truck full of furniture because people had donated a bunch of stuff. Um, we, we got them a vehicle, all these different things. A couple nights before we were back, go, about to go back down to, to New Orleans, we get a call from one of the guys uh, who was still up here but was in contact with people down there. And he says... When you go back down there, supposedly they're going to jump you when you go down to, uh, to unload all the furniture and drop them off. And they're like, oh, that doesn't sound very fun, you know? Um, and so we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And he, I, I, I said, you know, his name is Don. I said, Don, what would you do if you were in our shoes? He said, I wouldn't go. I said, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't go. And so we start talking about it, the four of us that are going down there. And, uh, and I was scared, honestly. 
um, gone into a city and to an area that wasn't good. If you remember, New Orleans at that time was like literally the murder capital of almost the world. It was, it was really, really bad place to be. And here we are taking a big moving van, going to a place where we'd never been before. And so we were talking about it like the night before we were supposed to go, trying to figure out what we are going to do. We are talking with Matt. And, uh, and Matt, man, he's just such a compassionate guy. Like, he is the good Samaritan, you know? And, uh, and, and so I'm like, Matt, I don't know if we can do this. And he's like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I was like, we can die, for sure. <laughs> like, we'll, we can definitely just die. And, uh, and, and he's like, well, yeah, I guess that's true. But, you know, I, I believe that God's going to watch over us. And he said this. He's like, honestly, even if we die, like, wouldn't that be a cool way to die? Like, just, just loving people and caring for people and, like, laying your life down on the line for people who are, are, are turning against you. And I was like, all right, yeah, okay, I'm not going to let you go by yourself. So we, we drive in this caravan down to New Orleans. We get down there, and like a lot of the whole situation, we, we didn't get jumped by God's grace. Um, but we got down there. The place that they were supposed to live in was completely condemned. Literally, the, the flood water was up like six feet high, and so you could see like where the water line was, and so it was moldy, it was nasty, and, uh, and, and they thought that they were going to be able to live there, but they couldn't. And so at this point, I'm like, man, we've done a ton. Let's just like lovingly, you know, pile their stuff up right here and let them figure it out, you know? <laughs> like, isn't that like a, that's a nice thing. Like, we got them all the way down here. Like, I wasn't being mean about it, and, and that was my proposal, and Matt was like, no. No, we're not going to do that. It's like, we're going to find these people a place to live. I'm like, really? How? It's like, I don't know. So we start driving around the city, doing all these crazy things. Somehow we find somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. There's a spot that wasn't flooded. We get them into an apartment. We leave them. We pray for them. And we say, man, you know, we know this didn't work out exactly how we had hoped it would or how you hoped it would. We just want you to know we love you you know, and, and we're sorry if we let you down, and they were so awesome and gracious, and we, we cried together, we hugged, and, uh, and, and I think they saw at the end of the day that, that we were for them, and that we cared for them. I think about that, that situation. That's why you need people in your life that push you to take crazy, bold steps of faith. I think about that, um, and, and just think, man, that was wild that we did that, but here was a guy who felt like God was calling him to love the least of these, who felt like God was calling him to be like that good Samaritan, and he brought the rest of us around him to do it. And man, like I look at that moment as such a, a cool, formative moment in my faith. See, sometimes in life, we're so tempted to just lump people into one of two categories, good people, bad people. Keep yourself away from the bad people because they might make you do bad things. Push yourself towards the good people, and that's where, you know, you'll grow and mature, and, and, and you'll take, and, and of course, we need to be around people who are helping us grow in our faith, but listen, life is more complex than that. Life is a lot more complex than that, and I think what Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this story is that every single person deserves the love and dignity and respect to know that they were created and made in the image of God. This guy laying on the side of the street was cared for by somebody that they barely classified as human as they're listening to this story. And Jesus says, be like that guy. Be way more like the Samaritan than like the priest because he was an actual neighbor. He was an actual neighbor to this man who is hurting. It's one of the things I love about our church. 
I love our church. I'm proud of our church, not in a bad way, I think in a good way, because we're not perfect, but we try to exemplify this over and over again. I even think about the last year as I was preparing for this message. I think about the, the, the situation, different people that God has brought into our church. I think about homeless people that God's brought here that we've tried to rally around and help find places to stay. I think about people who've been addicted to drugs, who, who God's brought into our, our, our congregation, and we've tried to rally around them and point them towards Jesus. I think of college students who are maybe hurting or broken emotionally, spiritually. We try to rally around them and love them. I think about families who may be struggling, that we've tried to rally around and point towards Jesus. See, God wants us to love every single person that he brings into our life, even if they're not always easy to love, even if it can be messy at times. That's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. And thirdly and finally, it kind of points us to this, that we have to live with our eyes open. We have to live with our eyes open, you know? Isn't it crazy in our world, in our society, where like, you know, we have so many distractions, and I'm just as guilty of it as anybody else. It's so easy to just walk through life like this. You know, it's so easy to walk through life with our heads down, focusing on ourselves, focusing on something that's insignificant in the, in the eyes of eternity. But what God wants to do is open up our eyes. Open up our eyes and see the people that he's bringing into our lives. Open up our, our eyes and say, who can I be a neighbor to? You see, the question that this lawyer asked, it, it was the wrong question. Who's my neighbor? Okay, that's fine. The better question is, who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I see in need and go out and love and serve? Do I have an actual neighbor who needs me to be a neighbor? Do, do I have a friend who needs me to be a neighbor to them? Who can I show the love and grace of Jesus Christ to? See, the heart of this parable isn't help somebody alongside the road. It's how do you view people? How do you view people? You know, think about this. There's three groups of people in this parable. The thieves. How do the thieves view people? Well, they view them as a victim to be exploited, and so they attack them. And hopefully none of us are, are thieves, you know. Hopefully none of us would ever do that. But I do think some of us can be tempted to view people as just kind of a pawn in our scheme to get what we want. How do you view people? Do you view them kind of like the thieves, as, as, as just somebody to exploit, somebody to get you to the next step, and then you discard the relationship or the person because it's all about moving you forward? You're not much different than the thieves if that's where you are. You think about the priest. Think about the pastors. Think about the religious leaders, the Levites. They viewed this man as a, a nuisance, an annoyance, and so they ignored him, right? So they weren't as bad as the thieves. They, they didn't exploit them, but, but they were, weren't much better either. They're just like, ah, somebody else will worry about it. Somebody else will take care. I, I got things I got to do, places I got to be, and so it's just kind of a, a nuisance. And then there's a Samaritan who Jesus says for us to go and be like. The Samaritan viewed this man as a child of God, as a person to be loved and cared for, as a neighbor. And so he wrapped him up and he took care of him and he showed him the love of Christ. And he did it because he was living with his eyes open. He was living a life where he was trying to come alongside God as God was already working. 
And so as we kind of wrap up and as we close today, we, our, our planning team, as we're kind of preparing this Sunday and this message, we got these, uh, these wristbands that we want to invite you to, to take one of and maybe even wear. It just says, eyes open. And we want to give everybody one of those. If you want to wear it, you're more than welcome to. But I know for myself, again, it's so tempting to go through life and, and just try to get from point A to point B. But I think what God wants for us to do is stop and slow down and say, God, where are you working? And how can I be a part of it? How can I come alongside what you're doing? And if we do, if we live our lives with our eyes open, it won't be perfect. It may not always be clean, but we'll know that we are partnering with God on his mission to restore people to him. And there's nothing greater than that in life. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And then I'm going to tell you how you're going to get these.